0: A soldier of the cross of Jesus. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You have to know the principle behind John 3.16. That's the word. Christ is enough. Christ is the enough. Thing is, when you read the Bible, when you understand how beautiful the presence of God is, you can't take it for granted. The Bible says that you must eat of this word. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Christ is enough. Christ it's only the is precious enough. blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Hello, this is Pastor Caleb Suko. Thank you for tuning in into Calvary with Caleb Suko. Please prepare your hearts as we listen to this week's sermon. I greet you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. It's always a privilege of mine to share the Word of the Lord with you. And today we're continuing on our series in James, James chapter 2. we add at James chapters 2, so I'm going to ask you if you can please open up in your Bibles to James chapter 2. So I'm going to give you a recap on the book. James is authored by James. He's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. This book was written between 48 to 62 A.D. And if you remember, in chapter 1, we spoke about how we all fall into various trials and how the devil will tempt us, but it is the Lord that tests us. You remember that? It's the devil that may tempt us, but the Lord tests us. No one can say, I'm being tempted by God. God doesn't tempt, right? He tests us. If you're coming under temptation, it is not from the Lord. Temptation comes from the devil. If we are being tested, that is from the Lord. Amen? And in chapter 1, we learned how we have to have patience, that in our testing, we have to produce patience. Amen? Amen? That we have to come to a place of patience. Uh, God is good. We have to practice what we preached this morning, waiting in traffic to come here. We had to practice patience. There's nothing we could have done. There was an accident on the road, but we had to practice patience. Amen? Amen. Today we're looking at chapter 2, and there's two topics here in chapter 2 that we, that, that uh, this, this chapter covers. Topic number 1 is partiality. And the second topic is faith. Today we're going to look at partiality. How many of you understand that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves? You know that? Love love your neighbor as yourself. That's in Matthew chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Amen. So let's turn to the book of James chapter 2. Let's turn to James chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1. The Bible says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Right? Don't take that word, with partiality, without bias. Alright? Don't take your faith with bias. Verse 2. For if they should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes. Listen to this. Verse 3. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in the good place. You sit here in the good place. And you say to the man, you stand there or you sit at the footstool. Right? Verse 4. Have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Because you're judging a book by its cover. Right? Five. Listen, listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? It's the same gospel for everyone. It's the same Jesus for everyone. It's the same kingdom for everyone. It's the same reward for everyone. I mean, if you understand that, amen. Verse six, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Don't people take advantage because they have money? I'll sue you, all these kinds of stuff because they know they got the power to do it. They exploit just. They know they're doing wrong, but they can get away with it. Don't people do that? verse 7 do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called and then they do it and if they know you are saved they say well pray to your God maybe he'll make a way for you have you experienced that? yeah verse 8 if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you do well, right? you do well if you're loving someone as yourself, you do well. The Bible says that. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. If I treat you any different to the next person, I commit sin. You can't do that. We can't do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no condition. Rich or poor, it makes no difference. You love that person the same way you would love yourself. You do love yourself, Right? But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. I don't know if you understand that. Right? He's still a lawbreaker. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So in keeping God's word as well, like we read in verse number one, in our faith, we can't have partiality. So you can't say, well, I've done this, but I haven't done that. It's partiality. We keep the whole law. We keep the whole book, right? We live a righteous life before God. You can't say, well, I've only done this, or I've only done that. It's partiality. The Bible says we can't do that, right? Verse 12, so speak and so do as there, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When we stand before Christ, before his mercy seat on the day of judgment, mercy will triumph over judgment. That means if you are and your name is in the Lamb's book of life, if you are and you have and you have living a life according to God, then as much as we, you and I, are sinners, that mercy... So covers our judgment, right? But that's not a license now to sin. You understand? Because we can't have partiality, right? So I have three points to cover today. And this is talking about partiality. Another word for partiality is favoritism, right? I have three points. Point number one, favoritism in church. Point number two, favoritism in family. Point number three. Favoritism in the word of God Actually let's do family Number one because family comes first Alright let's do Favoritism in family Favoritism in church And favoritism in the word of God Right point number one Favoritism in family Do you have a favorite family member? You shouldn't We shouldn't I mean, we're not children. The children can say, I like Pa more than Ma, right? But we're not kids. We're adults. So if I ask, do you have a favorite family member? The answer is, no. (laughs) Some of you are gonna say yes. (laughs) The answer is no, because this is biblical, right? There's no partiality. There's no favoritism, right? There's nothing. Now I'm talking about family, all right? We should not have a favorite family member. There's no favorite parent as well. I don't have a favorite parent. Sometimes as parents, we want to be the one that the children like. Who's your favorite? Is it mommy or is it daddy? Not that. Nothing of that sort. Who's your favorite child? Oh, who's your favorite child? Who's your favorite child? child? Uh, I hope you don't have any favorite children. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, if you have two or three children, one will look like you and your side of the family, the other one will look like the father or the mother and their side of the family. Who's going to be your favorite? The one that looks like you and your family. We can't do that. There's no partiality. There's no favoritism, right? Even the one that doesn't look like you. (laughs) There's no partiality, there's no favoritism, right? We love our neighbor as ourselves, right? Love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is unconditional, right? I don't love you more, I love you less. Love is unconditional. There's no favorite siblings. If you have a brother, if you have a sister, there's no favorite siblings. I mean, there may be personalities, different personalities, but there's no difference. There's no favorite sibling, right? You can't say I like this sister more than the other sister or this brother more than the other brother. That's partiality. That's partiality. There's no favorite sibling. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. So I can't stand here and say, I'm better than you. I can't have that mindset. You can't have that mindset that you are better than me. It doesn't work that way. The Bible makes it clear, right? Verse 3, verse 4, let each of you look out, not only for his own interests. If you have water in your house and somebody doesn't have water, what are you going to do? Look out for your own interests, you have to share it. You have to look out for the next person, right? But also for the interests of others. My last point on favoritism in the family, you can't even favor yourself. You can't be the favorite in the family. You can't think you are the favorite in the family. You can't behave like you are the favorite in the family no matter how jovial we may be and how we get along with everybody, we cannot have the disposition that I am the favorite in the family or try and cut favor with everybody so you become the favorite in the family. There's not a position that we should be seeking after because I can't be a stumbling block to my brother. I can't now go and only talk to these people and make them like me and then turn them against my own brother. Mm. I can't do that. I can't be the favorite in the family. I cannot aspire to be the favorite in the family. I must esteem everybody else higher than myself. And you know what? It's a matter of trust. Mm. Because if I'm doing it, and you're doing it, and you're doing it, and you're doing it, and everybody's doing it, Mm. nobody's gonna have what chip on their shoulder and say, I'm the favorite here because I'm going to hold you at high regard, you're going to hold me at higher regard. Only the name of Jesus is lifted up. It's not my name, it's not your name, it's only the name of Christ that's being lifted up. So even to ourselves, when it comes to the family dynamic, we can't even say, I want to aspire to be the favorite. We can't even manipulate and do that and say, I want to be the life of the party. When I'm here, there's a party. (laughs) Got some party starters. We can't do that. It's good to be sociable, yes. but the point is, don't overplay your part. <coughs> don't overplay your part because some people are chatterboxes; they can make the whole thing about themselves. Don't overplay your part. If you know you are a talkative person, talk, and then should keep quiet. <laughs> Let somebody else talk as well. Don't cause strife in the family. Let everybody have equal chance, right? Nobody should aspire to be the favorite in the family. That's not biblical. That's not biblical, right? And I want to talk about the family because the same will apply to every other dynamic. But if we get it right here at home first, then we can get it right everywhere else, right? Because have you ever met people that you know they're the only child? (laughs) You know they're the only child because they, they are spoiled. They expect to be treated a certain way. And you know this child, is the only child because they get everything that they want. Or that is the favorite in the family. <laughs> and now when they are in society, they expect to be treated a certain way. Because at home they got certain preferentials. They were treated a certain way. That's what I'm saying. If we get it right in the family, then when we go out into the world, we're okay. We're okay. There's no there's no favorite in the family. It's not you, it's not me, it's not my brother. He's he's gone up to Johannesburg. My parents are with him at the moment. They relocated back to Johannesburg. That's why they're not here. But he's not the favorite. I'm not the favorite. I hold him higher than myself. He holds me higher than myself. When he drove away, he was crying. I was crying, we both were crying. No one's favorite. You understand? But now I can trust him that when he goes to work, And when he has his own family, the same will be true. There's no favoritism. There's no favoritism. He must not have a favorite in his family. When he starts a family with his wife and when he has children, he must not have a favorite. That doesn't matter. That doesn't work like that. We love our neighbor as ourselves. Even the children that don't look like us. (laughs) We love all of them. We love all of them. Now I said that, that's biologically speaking, but we can take it in another way as well. Even that children as well. Maybe there was an affair in the relationship. You can't hold that against the child. You can't say, this child is my biological child. I don't know who you are. You can't punish the child for that. There's no partiality. There's no partiality. You love your neighbor as yourself. You understand? So we get it right in the family first. We get it right in the family. Point two, favoritism in church. There's no place for favoritism in the church. I know some of us have come from different churches. Maybe there was favoritism in those churches or we are long time in the Lord, long time in faith. Maybe we've seen things, our favoritism can wag its tail But in the church of Jesus Christ, and I like to say in this church as well, there's no favoritism. If it is, please tell me about it. There is no favoritism, right? The rich man is not sitting in a certain place. The poor man is not sitting in a certain place. All of you are set where you'll want to sit. There's no favoritism, right? I don't have a favorite congregational member. You're not my favorite. You're not my favorite. You're not my favorite. You're not my favorite. (laughs) I don't have a favorite congregational member. Even Caitlin is not my favorite. She's She's helping me so much, taking so much off my hands. But even Caitlin is not my favorite. I'm grateful for what you've done, but I have no favorites. You understand? I have to esteem everybody higher than myself. And in this church, when we have more than one pastor, which is biblical, is a plurality of pastors, regardless of size, big church, small church, a church must have more than one pastor, right? To make sure there's no dictatorship, right? So when you have more than one pastor, you two can't say I have a favorite pastor. Yes. Like I can't say I have a favorite congregational member. You two can't say I have a favorite pastor. You can't say, well, my favorite pastor is preaching today. Oh, my favorite pastor is not here. Doesn't work like that. The same scripture is for me. The same scripture is for you. There's no favoritism in church. Nothing. Because you see, the thing is, church is about Christ. You understand? What we did today was for Christ. And God was with us. We felt him with us today. Amen. 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 That worship wasn't for me. That worship wasn't for you. That was directed to God. As a congregation, we directed it towards God. So there's no favorites here. When you take that position of favorite, you're taking Christ off number one spot and you're putting him down. Because what did you come to church for? To see your favorite. What did you come to church for? For Christ. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if there was an accident on the road and we started late or anything of that sort. The issue is we came here for Christ. Amen. Amen. There's no favoritism in church. Nothing. Because if you say I'm your favorite, no. Where's Christ? Mm -hmm. That means you are holding me in such a high regard. In the church of Jesus Christ, you're holding me higher than Christ. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And if I do that with you, it's the same principle. Mm. That means in the church of Jesus Christ, if you are my favorite, that means I'm actually coming here for you. Mm. Doesn't work like that. We're here for Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ that Paul said, I want to hear nothing amongst you except Christ and Christ crucified. That's all you preach Christ and you preach the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. When you listen to sermons, make sure you can hear Christ in the sermon. Mm. Make sure you can hear the crucified Christ in the sermon. It may not be directly, but listen for it. You'll hear Christ, and you'll hear Christ crucified. It may be an indirect approach. Like now, I'm not preaching a cross message, but can you hear Christ? Amen? Amen. Amen. So there's no favoritism in church. When we do that, we allow space for the enemy to come in, and then strife comes. Now, if Lawrence helped me, now people are going to think, "No, oh, Lawrence is my favorite. Then somebody else wants to help me, so they want to be their favorite. And in some churches, it is like that. Mm-hmm. They want you to be the favorite. That's unfortunately not a church. You don't run a church like that. We don't do that. There's no favoritism. You see, in church as well, let's talk about doctrine. Because once false doctrine has been exposed do you still go back to false doctrine? Because it's partiality. You have a bias. You see, when we, when we say, you're a favorite and I'm a favorite, it's false doctrine that gives room for the false doctrine of fathers and sons. That's not a doctrine. There's only one father. And the Bible says that it's God the Father. I'm not your spiritual father. I have no spiritual father. When we do that, we're giving room for false doctrine and we're taking Christ away from the center of the church and we're putting man-made Christ there. The Bible makes it clear, if you preach any other Christ, you are accursed. There is no other Christ. it's only one Christ. So when an Eastern religion like Islam comes 600 years later and preaches a certain Christ where we have Moses and they have Musa, the Bible even says even if an angel came and told you about this Christ, it is accursed. That's not even a religion, it's a cult. How can you have authority on scripture 600 years later? Islam started 600 years later. That's like saying, okay, it's 2000 now, 2000 minus 600. In 1400, in the year 1422, I can have authority over what was happening. I can tell you I know what happened in 1422. Doesn't happen. We can't preach anything else except Christ. The songs we sing as well, we can't have a favorite song. All songs give glory to Christ. Right? And even with the songs as well, it must be theological songs. Some songs, it just makes you emotional, just hypes you up. But the words are so weak. Then you hear a song like Amazing Grace. How sweet the song. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It was grace that taught me how to. There's no repetition there, nothing of the sort. But it moves you to understand who this God is. So if you're gonna have, I say inverted commas, if you're gonna have a favorite song, let it be a theological song where the scriptures are coming through. Amazing grace, you know this. We've taught you about the cross. You know what Christ has done for us. How sweet that sound. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Saved a wretch like me. We were all dead in our sins. That's the word of God. We were dead in our trespasses. But he saved us. There's no favoritism in church. There's no favoritism in church. We read earlier About how the Bible says, if a person walks in with fine clothes, do we tell them, come and sit here? (laughs) And if a person doesn't have fine clothes, you say, no, maybe, maybe sit there. (laughs) That's not biblical. I know in some churches, that's a practice. Front row is only reserved for certain people. You guys can come sit here. Actually, every week we tell you, come sit in the front. But there's no front row reserve. Just leave one chair for me. Maybe three chairs, you know? Because when you're preaching, I can't go from the back now walk to the front. But yeah, come sit here, it's fine. Don't go sit on the stage. <laughs> come sit here. <laughs> but you understand, there's no favoritism here. Also, if we are going to say based anything on a person's clothes or appearance, then we are materialistic. Now, that contradicts the word of God. I want this. I'm not happy I got to wear this suit. I'm be putting my coat on. so hot. You know how happy I am to be wearing this suit? Not because it's a nice suit. Because I can fit into the suit. <laughs> <laughs> you know when I hurt my foot, how much weight I put on. <laughs> For two months, you go from the bedroom to the lounge to the shower. It's just that. You're not doing anything. I put on so much of weight I couldn't even fit into this pants today I said hey, let me take a chance who knows <laughs> but I can't be treated any different hmm. you understand this is just me I'm happy I can fit into this pants like two months <laughs> since I wore this pants Well, that means nothing that means nothing right if God has blessed you with money okay good for you you don't have a chip on your shoulder yes. it's one Christ for all And the Bible makes it clear that we said the poor man has in his inheritance, it's Christ. There's no partiality. That means, that means if I give the rich man place over here, that rich man is worth more in the eyes of Christ. That means Christ, when he died on the cross, he only had the rich man on his mind. That he only went to the cross for the rich. But how many times in the Bible, he rebuked the rich? Nothing wrong with money, don't get me wrong. We're all going to work for money, but when you love money, that becomes a problem. Because in order for you to say you have nice clothes, come and sit here, the pastor also has a problem. He loves money. The pastor is being exposed because he saw money walking through the door. Come and sit here. There's no favoritism. There's no favoritism. There's no favoritism in congregational, you can't say I have a favorite congregational member, there's no favorite, I don't have a favorite, you can't say you have a favorite pastor, nothing of that sort, it's about Christ at the end of the day. The issue is Christ, you understand? I'm grateful for Jadley and for Lawrence, it takes so much off my hands, and for Caitlin. But if you, have, if you had to ask me between the three, who's my favorite? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody, I mean, even, even Lionel helps between the four, if you ask me who's my favorite, it's nobody. Am I grateful for their help? Of course, definitely. Do I have a favorite? No. No. They do that not to make me happy, they do that unto the Lord, understand? Right, let's, 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 on the topic of church, one more point. Do you have a favorite venue? House of God. House of God. Is this your favorite venue as compared to where we were? It's more comfortable, let's be honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is more comfortable, right? Listen to the question. We're talking about there's no partiality. Is this your favorite venue? No. Bro. Do you have a favorite venue? No. Bro. So if tomorrow we say we're going back over there, are you going to pull your face? No. <laughs> no. Was God not there? What beautiful services we had. Yes. Sometimes we only left after lunch. You remember? Yes. Was God not present there? So then we have no favorite venue? No. Or the big church down the road? Is there a bigger Jesus? <laughs> that Jesus will give you more salvation? You have less salvation? No. I mean nothing against them. God bless them. I'll just make an example. But the question is we're coming to the house of God. Do you have a favorite venue? Answer is no right? Your answer is no. Good. But there are people who will say yes. Right? But I can only minister to you. The answer is no. We do not have a favorite venue. Mm -hmm. Right? There is no favorite venue because the issue is Christ. If this is your favorite venue and you're saying Christ must be glorified here, what happened over there? Who was being glorified? Was Christ not present? So there's no. That's where we started. There's, there's no favorite venue. Right? But all I know is God is with us. Amen. Amen. That I don't, even I don't have a favorite venue. It's not, I mean, we don't even preach on the stage. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we don't even use it. <laughs> poor Jadli <John> was building <laughs> a stage for us. But let's, let's make application, yeah. right? Let's, let's talk now, right? Because there is no favorite venue. There is no favoritism in the church at all. Understand? So even if we say, listen, this pastor is, you know, like how we read, the rich want to take advantage. And he just wants to take advantage of the situation. Say, well, we, we've got nothing else to do because he wants to take advantage of the situation. Our only option now is to go back. Yeah. What does that mean? It means nothing. It means nothing. It means God will deal with him. But to us, it means nothing. There's no favorite venue. We had fans over there. we got fans over here. Got, yeah, they also got white curtains there. We had white curtains. It's nothing. Understand? There's no favoritism whatsoever. And this is just a few applications I'm making. But you meditate on it. Meditate on the family. Meditate on the church. Right? I can't preach on everything. But you meditate on it. Right? The last point. point number three. Favoritism in the word of God. Favoritism in the word of God. Right? First Corinthians... Chapter 13, verse 11, says it like this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, right? We all grew up that way. And we can understand with children as well. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. Right? I put aside childish things. The Bible tells us that. Right? Point three, favoritism in the word of God. Right? Favoritism in the Word of God. Point one, family, no favoritism in the family. Even if the child looks like you, doesn't look like you, I'm not interested in being the favorite, nothing of that sort, right? There's no favoritism in the family, right? Point two, favoritism in the church. I don't have a favorite. You don't have a favorite. We don't have a favorite. There's no favorite. Favorite for all applications, right? Point three, favoritism in the Word of God. Now, it says here, when I was a child... I thought like a child, I spoke, I behaved like a child, that's normal, right? But when I became a man, I put aside all those childish things, Mm. right? All of us at some point, just like a child, we used to wean off milk, am I right, mothers? Child used to wean off milk and then eventually you put solid food in the mouth and then now they can eat by themselves, Mm. right? Mm. When it comes to the word of God as well, at some point all of us were drinking and eating the milk of God's word, the soft things of God's word, right? Right? We all came through that. But at some point, we have to grow. At some point, we have to say we want the meat of God's word. Right? Now, point number three I said, favoritism in the word of God. That means the meat is harder. The meat requires more energy. The meat requires us to think when we come to church, right? We cannot have a favorite and say, I like the milk over the meat. There are some people, I've seen this in my own life, in my own experience. I've seen this. When you give the meat to some people, they immediately reject it because they like the milk. It's an easy gospel to preach. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. easy gospel. I don't have to do anything. Like just like how you look after a child, child doesn't do anything. You look after that child. That milk gospel is I don't do anything. Jesus loves me so much. If I was the only person on this planet, he still would have died for me. You understand how we understand Christ? The resurrection, children can't understand the resurrection. But when we went through Easter, we read and we taught you, the resurrection must be elementary. Right? If the resurrection is gonna be elementary, that means we have to take hold of the meat of God's word. We cannot say, I like this because it's easy and it's palatable, it's soft, I understand it. There's people like R.C. Sproul, there's people like John Calvin, and we'll, (laughs) we'll talk on tulip a little bit, right? When we start talking on tulip, start talking on John Calvin's doctrine and his theory. It's going to take a lot of energy from us. You understand? We're going to have to start using our mental abilities. For example, for example, you know the good shepherd laid his life down. Right? For his sheep. Right? You know that. Does that mean he only died for his sheep or did he die for the whole world? Really? Because According to Tulip, he only died for his sheep, only died for his own. Now we have to discourse this. Just like how you go to school and you are taught a subject and you are taught things, we have to teach us the word of God. We can't be happy when Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now we have to talk and analyze and study the word of God. Just like how you would go and talk about things, uh, philosophical things in in university and high school and really get your mind working. We have to do that with the Word of God. That there is the meat of God's Word. That there is the meat of God's Word. Now, we can't reject it because it takes effort. You understand? We can't say, I choose the milk because that's my favorite. I'm strong in the milk. For example, eschatology. We can see how crazy eschatology is the study of end times. Right? There's four different views on the end times and the end times. You may have your personal view. You may like the rapture. Somebody else will tell you there's no rapture. Now what? Personally, personally, for me, when I did my doctorate, for my thesis or my doctorate, my doctorate was on the pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. That's the rapture, right? But I've grown in my studies to the point I can prove the rapture in the Bible and I can disprove it. I can show, I can open the Bible now, I can show you the rapture exists. And I can open the same Bible, I can show you it doesn't exist. (laughs) Scripture. Now this is the meat of God's word. There's four views when it comes to eschatology. People in the body all take their own views. Now what do we do? Do we have a favorite view? My eschatology is I don't care what you believe, whether rapture or no rapture, as long as you know Christ is coming back. You may have a personal belief, something that you feel safe in. Right? If there is a rapture, the person that believes no rapture is still going to get raptured. (laughs) Right? If there's no rapture and you believe there is a rapture, then what are you going to do? You say, ah, I got left behind. <laughs> you understand? So we can't have a favorite when it comes to the word of God as well. Mm. Things that cause us to think and challenges us. We can't walk away from that. Can't say, I don't like this. The fact that I can open the Bible and prove something and disprove it, you have to listen to it. And trust me, for me, That was a big challenge because from small boy, we are brought up with the rapture. Right? But now, when I became a man, I put aside childish things. I can think for myself. I can literally open the Bible to you. I can prove the rapture in the Bible. Come next week, I'll open the same Bible and I'll disprove it. With scripture, not having a big mouth, not being technical, I can show you scripture, there's no rapture. And I can show you scripture, there is a rapture. So where does that leave us? It leaves us waiting on Christ. Yes. We have to challenge ourselves how we think. Because when you are good at something, you can find a fault in it. Am I right? Yes. Ladies, We all cook, you all bake, you all know I got it wrong this time. I have to get it right the next time. You know where you got wrong. I won't do it again. Right. So if we can do that when it comes to cooking and baking, when it comes to the word of God, we have to improve. We have to improve our understanding. Right? So there's no favoritism in the word of God as well. We may have certain beliefs. What if it's wrong? What are we going to do? We can't give up the faith. All we have to do is make peace. I was wrong. This is what the Bible says. Can I make peace with it? Right? Now, I'm not saying choose one. There's four uh, views on it. I don't take any view. Uh, I just like, hey, I'll wait and see what happens. That's my personal view. I don't want to say there is a rapture and then there's no rapture. I don't want to prove this or prove that. I can prove all four views because of my studies and I can disprove all four views (laughs) because of my studies, right? But the one thing I can prove and not disprove is that just like how Christ went, Christ is coming back like that. All four views hold to the same, come to the same conclusion. There's different ways to come to this place. You took a different route. I took a different route. You took a different route. But we all came here. Right? No matter how we come to, Christ is returning. They just come to the fact that Christ is returning. Right? Somebody's going to be right. Somebody's going to be wrong. I don't know. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. What am I going to do now? Say, oh, Jesus is supposed to rapture me. Go back. What I'm going to do? He came. That's what we're waiting for. And just, you know, we can make fun of ourselves. We make fun of other people. Some people don't believe the rapture and they get raptured, what are they going to do? No, put me back. (laughs) So you understand, there's no favoritism in the word of God, all right? We have to challenge how we think. We have to go to the meat of God's word. Right? Jesus loves me. Yes, I know what's for the Sunday school children. Right? Now, nobody went to Sunday school. We sat here in the congregation. Now we're doing the meat of God's word. Understand? The meat of God's word. So what is the purpose of the text in James? The answer is to remain humble before the Lord. There's no partiality. I'm not better than you. You are not better than me. In all dynamics, in all application, nobody's better. There are many applications, not just three, I covered three today. No favoritism in the family, no favoritism in church, no favoritism in the Word of God. But when you go home, meditate on this. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit will reveal other things as well. Maybe we cannot have favoritism. Even in work, you can't have a favorite employee. If you're a business owner, if you, have a man, if you are a person in, that's in management, you can't say, I have a favorite employee. You may have a good employee. And you can't say, this is my favorite employee. The other people also making money for you. If you're a business owner, you don't have a favorite employee, right? So you go home and you think about the different applications. Now, here's the thing. Is God partial or is God impartial? Impartial. God is not partial. And if we are Christians and we follow after his lead, we ourselves cannot be partial. We have to be impartial. That means we have no bias, right? We have no bias. The Lord is impartial and where do we learn that in Deuteronomy chapter 10:17 For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great God mighty and awesome who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe Deuteronomy 10:17 Bible makes it clear he does not take any sides he takes his own side right I'll read it again Deuteronomy 10:17 for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. Right? The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality, no partiality, nor takes bribes, amen? So if God shows no partiality, we show no partiality. And whatever situation we find ourselves in in life, with children, You can't say I have a favorite wife. (laughs) You're only supposed to have one wife. (laughs) Right? Whatever application, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we cannot take sides, we cannot take bias, we cannot be partial. We have to remain neutral. We have to stay impartial. Amen? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, Calvary with Caleb Sukum. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications. You're welcome to rate, review, or comment below. Until next week, let Christ be seated in our hearts. God bless you.